Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thanks for being here. Welcome, good morning, all that good stuff. It's a joy to be worshiping with you today. Uh, as I said, my name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us. We really do appreciate that. It really means a lot to us that you would choose to do that. So we want to show you how much we appreciate you. Um, but if you could do me a huge favor, stop by our welcome table before you head home. It's right out there as you go back out in the hallway. Uh, we have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands. Uh, we also have a little welcome card for mine. Filling that out, just taking a minute, filling that out, that comes back to me, and it just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And, and before we get started, just a couple quick announcements for everybody. Uh, one, members of Haynes Creek, we are going to uh, have a member meeting right after service. So, so typically... Uh, we tear down after service, um, but today we're going to not tear down right after service. We're going to have a member meeting right here in this room so parents, you can go and get your kids out of the kids' rooms as soon as we're done and then come back in here. But we are also, uh, for this members meeting, we're going to have child care set up in the baby room, 0 to 18 months. So parents, if you want to check them out of their current room and drop them into the baby room with our wonderful babysitters, that would be awesome too. They are also welcome in here as well, so don't feel like I'm trying to force you to do that. Um, but it's up to you if you would like to uh, to have some childcare during our meeting. Um, and then also next Sunday, y'all, is Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Christmas is, is like almost here. That's crazy. I don't, I don't know where this time has gone. This year is flying by. Uh, but Christmas Eve is next Sunday. And we're going to gather for worship just like we do every single Sunday at 10 a.m. But, but next Sunday, we're going to do a special Christmas Eve service and really celebrate the coming and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you are in town and, and able to come, we would love for you to come and join us for that special service next Sunday. And also that will be a family style service. So, so everybody in here, adults, kids, it'll be a lot of fun. So everybody in here, and um, because school is still going on this upcoming week, we have to tear down and we also have to set up on Christmas Eve. So for those of you who really love Jesus, if you could come early and help set up, we only, we, we won't have kids ministry. So we only have to set up the gym. So, I mean, it's a little less, all right? It's a little less. And then we get to leave it up, y'all. We get to leave it up while they're out of school. So, you know, if you could just come a little bit, I, I, would, I would appreciate that. Uh, but that will be next Sunday. And then just to let you guys know, on the 31st, so the following Sunday after that, uh, New Year's Eve, we are also going to do another family-style worship, 10 a.m. right here together. We're going to take a pause from Philippians for those two weeks. We'll pick back up in Philippians in January. And with that, we are going to continue on today in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 19, and we're going to, we're going to finish out the chapter today, y'all. We're going to finish that out and go through verse 30 to the end of chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, awesome. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We will have the verses right here on the screen behind me. We also have at our table free Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, don't have a Bible, uh, please, please grab one of those on your way out. We would love to give you that as, uh, as a gift to you. So Philippians chapter 2. And, and as we've been walking slowly through this chapter, we've seen that, that Paul is really highlighting and, and calling us and encouraging us as followers of Jesus, here's what it looks like to live for Jesus. If you claim the name of Christ, if you claim to believe in him, claim to be a Christian, here's what your life should look like. And he really begins this discussion, as we've been saying, in chapter 1, verse 27, where he, he calls us to live a life worthy of the gospel. And then he, he talks about how we're to have humility in our relationships and unity in our relationships with one another. And then he, he has that, that beautiful Christ hymn where he, he calls us to have the mind, the attitude, the, the outset of Jesus Christ. Oh man, that, that's fun right there. Um, it's all good, Ben. I love you, man. It's all good. We'll, we'll help you clean that up. We'll help you. It's all good, man. It's all good. Don't even worry about that. Hopefully Dave didn't get too wet, but uh, it's all good. All right. All right. 
<laughs> oh, well, you know, it's all good. It's all good, man. What, who needs that every day, right? Um, and then in, in verse 12, we really, again, start to get into the nitty-gritty of how this actually looks. How do our lives look when we follow Jesus? And he calls us to work out our own salvation, to walk in obedience to Jesus, to trust and rely on the strength and the work of God in our lives every moment of every day. And then and then last week, we kind of saw like these, these quick little uh, one-liners, hitters that, that Paul gives us in verses 14 through 18 as he kind of concludes and wraps up this section where he, he calls us to, you know, do everything without grumbling and arguing which that alone is like, whoa, that's a big ask, Paul. Like, seriously, yes, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And then he calls us to, to shine like stars in this dark world full of sin. And, and he calls us to share our joy in Christ, right? No matter what we have going on, no matter what we're walking through, we can have joy in Jesus. And we should be able to ex express and give out that joy to everyone we come in contact with. Um, so that's where we ended last week. And now in, in this section that we come to, it's almost like a, like a shift, like Paul just kind of takes a left turn somewhere and it's like almost a new topic or really it's kind of maybe a, a picking up of a topic that he started earlier, but, but it's kind of a little bit different, but I want to show you that I, I do believe that these sections really tie together beautifully. So uh, starting in verse 19, let me read through verse 30 and we'll, we'll dig into this section. So it says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Okay, so again, this is kind of like a, like a, like a pretty big shift from what we see from what Paul has been saying for this last huge chunk of verses. And so he's been like giving us directives and calling us to live a certain way. And now he's talking about travel plans and, and schedules and Timothy and Epaphroditus and who are those people and what's going on. So it kind of seems a little bit of a left turn. But really what Paul is doing is he's picking up where he was discussing earlier in chapter one. If you remember all the way back to the middle of chapter one, where Paul's kind of giving an update. Here's what my time in Rome is looking like. Here's what time in, because he's sitting in prison. He's, not, he's under house arrest in Rome, chained up to a guard 24-7. And the Philippians are worried about him. They're, they're concerned. So he's writing to tell them, hey, it's all good. I'm doing okay. I'm sharing the gospel, preaching the word, doing all these things that I've been doing. Just, you know, looks a little different. And then he kind of, you know, let me talk about you guys. And let me give you guys some encouragement. And now he's kind of picking back up. All right, here's what's more going on with me in this section. So so that that's kind of what's going on on here. Uh, before we move on to the nitty gritty, um, let me just kind of give you an update on the timeline and just kind of so we know what's going on here in this section of Philippians. So the first thing that happens before we even open up the letter of Philippians, what we know from this passage is the Philippian church sent a man named Epaphroditus to Paul. 
And what we're going to find out in chapter 4 is that what Epaphroditus was doing was he was carrying a letter of update about the Philippian church to Paul, and he was also carrying a, a ministry gift to Paul, probably some sort of monetary donation, because <clears throat> and under this time, when you were under house arrest in Rome, you were responsible for all of your provisions. Like, they didn't give you food, they didn't give you water, they didn't give you anything. You had to come up with payment for all of those things for your basic needs and necessities. So there was a ton of people partnering with Paul, supporting him during this time, and the Philippians were one of those people. So Epaphroditus comes with an update and with some sort of monetary gift, most likely, for Paul. And the point was, and the goal was for, for Epaphroditus to stay there long-term with Paul and care for and minister and help him in whatever way he wanted. But along the way, he got sick, nearly died, and then Paul is saying, okay, I'm, I'm sending him back to you guys, okay? So I'm sending him back to y'all. And then at some point, as he says here, like once he figures out and has more information about his situation, so again, he's in house, he's under house arrest, jailed up in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. So what Paul is saying is that once things kind of clear up with me and I kind of know what's going to happen, whether I'm sentenced to death or whether I'm set free or whether I have to stay here longer, whatever it is, eventually I'm also going to send Timothy to you. Now, Epaphroditus, when he got sent back to Philippi, he was going to stay in Philippi. But Timothy was to travel the 800-mile journey from Rome to Philippi, check in on the Philippians, see how they were doing, how they were responding to his letter that, that he's sending him right here with Epaphroditus. This letter that we're reading today was sent with Epaphroditus. So Timothy's going, hey, let me check in, see how y'all are doing. And then Timothy's going to do that, check in, stay a little bit, and then come right back to Rome, do that 800-mile journey all over again, and give Paul an update. So that's kind of what the schedule, the travel plans, and timeline is looking like during this time. Now, I told you that, that I really believe that this section, even though it seems like a shift and we're like, wait, what, huh, who, what are we doing? What are we talking about? Like, this was, come on, Paul, like, keep, keep with me here. What's going on? It seems like a stark change, but I really do think that these tie nicely because what we see in this passage are two people, two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are living examples of exactly what Paul's been talking about. Everything that Paul's been talking about in this section, all the things that he's calling the Philippians and us today to, all of these directives that he's giving, all of these commands that he's giving, here are two men who are living that out every day. So it's a really awesome opportunity for us to kind of see, man, what, is, what does it look like in real life to live a life worthy of the gospel, to, to be humble and to be unified and to walk in obedience to Jesus and to work out your own salvation and all these things that he's been talking about. Like, what can we see an example? Like, sometimes it's just helpful to see an example, right? You can have an idea in your mind, but it's just helpful to see it done by somebody else. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's exactly what we see here with Timothy and Epaphroditus, our two living examples of everything that Paul's been talking about. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to spend some time just hanging out with Timothy and Epaphroditus, seeing what Paul says about them and seeing what we can learn from their lives and, and walk in obedience to that and apply it to our lives. So all that background to say, let's let's dig into our verses today. So um, if you, again, following along here, uh, we're walking through verses 19 through 30 of chapter 2, if you're just walking in, and we're looking first at Timothy. So the first person we see here, the first person mentioned is Timothy. And remember, this is kind of out of order, which is why I wanted to explain the timeline, because it seems like well, he's talking about Timothy first, so therefore he's sending Timothy first. No, he's sending Timothy later than Epaphroditus, but he's talking about Timothy first. <clears throat> so verse 19, and, and, and verses 19 through 24, sorry, is, is what Timothy section here is. So that's where we're at. Um, and let's look at three things that we can learn from Timothy in this passage. If you're taking notes, write these things down. The first thing that we see, the first thing that we can learn about Timothy 
is Timothy had genuine care for others. He had genuine care for others. Look again at verse 20. Verse 20 says, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. That's the first thing he says about Timothy. There's no one else that's like-minded. That, that, that phrase, like-minded, the literal translation is like-souled, the same soul. That's what Paul's saying. That's how, that's how tightly connected Timothy and Paul are. That's how similar they are in how they view their walk with Jesus, how they view the church, how they view ministry. Paul can say, we have the same soul. That's how similar they are. So Paul is sending a man who is, who is in very much, in certain ways, very much like Paul, right? And that's what he's saying here is, man, he's, he's just like me, and I'm going to send him to you guys to, to give you encouragement and, and hope and love and care and concern that I would do if I were there, but, but Timothy's going to come instead of me for right now. So he says that, 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 I think it's interesting too, that he says that there, there's no one else that he can send. What's interesting about that is that he's in Rome, and we know from history, and we know from the New Testament, that there is a very active and large church in Rome. We also see Paul saying in chapter 1 of Philippians that he's preaching the gospel, and there's a bunch of other people preaching the gospel, but he says that, that some of those people are preaching for their own interest. They're trying to puff themselves up, build themselves up, and at the same time tear Paul down. So it's just a, a stark contrast to say that, man, the only person here that's like me is Timothy. There's no one else. No one else. He is like-minded. And I love that Paul clarifies what he means by that. He says that he's like-minded because, because he genuinely cares about your interests. He genuinely cares about the interests of other people. Timothy has this deep care and concern for others. And it's in that way that we see Timothy living a life of humility. He lives the life of humility that Paul's been talking about this entire section. Timothy is living that out, and he demonstrates that by showing genuine care and concern for other people. And I love that, that word care that Paul uses here. It's a, it's a word that means this, this deep emotional and, and concern and like deep care for somebody else. It's not a, it's not a superficial concern, right? And we're all familiar with that. I, don't, I won't make you raise your hands or anything, but we know what that means. We know when we're showing or somebody's showing us superficial concern. I mean, here's what it looks like in the church typically when you see somebody, hey, how you doing? Oh, well, I'm walking through this, I'm struggling with this, and go, oh man, I'll pray for you. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. How, how often do we turn away from that conversation, go about our lives, and the next thing we, th the next time we think about praying for that person is when we see them, we're like, oh, they, um, they had something going on. I know I'm supposed to pray for it. Forgot about it. Not sure about it. Hey, how's that? How's that thing that, that you, you were? Yeah, how's that thing? How's that? Like that's, look, we've all been there. We all, I'm, again, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. We've all been there. We've all done something to that level. That's superficial concern. That's, that's not what Paul is calling us to, right? And we know like that's not good enough. Nobody wants these superficial relationships. When we have relationships with one another and the relationships that we're supposed to have in the church is this deep care and concern for one another. And Timothy, again, is living that out. He has deep care for what's going on with other people. And again, this is exactly what Paul's called us to, right? Philippians 2, if we back up to Philippians, the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any affliction and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And Timothy is a living, breathing example of what that's supposed to look like. That's what Paul's telling us here. Not only is he like-minded, not only is he similar to Paul, but the way that he's similar, the way that he's like-minded is because of his genuine, deep care and concern for other people. Constantly putting others and their interests and their needs ahead of his own. That's Timothy. That's who Timothy is. That's how he lives. And this is what Paul is calling the Philippians to, and this is what he's calling us to today as well. As believers, we are called to live in humility, meaning we are called to put the interests, needs, desires of other people ahead of our own. That's what it looks like to walk in humility, and that's what Timothy's doing. So we see the first thing, genuine care for others. The second thing we see is full devotion to Jesus, full devotion to Jesus. Let's continue on here in verse 21. So not only does it say, for I have no one else like-minded who would genuinely care about your interests. Verse 21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So again, Paul here is making a contrast between everybody else and Timothy. So he's making a contrast between other people and Timothy. And he says that, that everybody else cares about their own interests, cares about their own interests. They're, they're selfish, they're consumed, they're preoccupied with what they have going on in their lives. And I'm sure none of us understand what that's like. None of us have ever done that, right? Of course not. But there are some that do. There are some that do. And Paul's saying, look, everybody else is worried about themselves, but not Timothy. Not Timothy. Now, what's interesting What's interesting is he doesn't carry the same thought that we just read in verse 4 that, that says that we are to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Like Paul could have said, everyone else is looking to their own interests, not the interests of others. He doesn't say that. He says everybody's looking to their own interests instead of the interests of Jesus Christ. That's the contrast that Paul is making. And that tells us something new here about Timothy. This shows that, that Timothy cares far more about the desires, the interests, the will, the way of Jesus Christ than he does anything else, including himself. Including himself. Including his wants, his desires, his interests. Timothy doesn't just put the needs of others ahead of him. He puts the needs of Jesus, the interests of Jesus, the desires, the will of Jesus above everything else. And this, this is the life that Jesus invites us to. A life of full devotion to him, giving him everything. And like we say all the time around here, that's not, that's, when you do that, you're not losing anything. In fact, you're gaining everything. That's what Jesus tells us. He says, when we live our lives for him, we actually gain true life. When we live our lives for ourselves in our own way, in our own desires, that only leads to death and destruction. So Jesus invites us to the path of life. And what that looks like is putting him above everything else, seeking first the kingdom of God and not anything else in this world. We're giving everything to Jesus, putting, putting our own interests and desires and plans and ambitions and preferences underneath the authority and lordship of Jesus. That's what it means to live for him. That's what full devotion to him looks like. And that was Timothy. Timothy looked to Jesus first and foremost, lived his life for Jesus above anything and everything else. And that's what we're called to as well. 
The third thing that we see about Timothy here is that he was committed to the gospel. He was committed to the gospel. Look at verse 22. It says, But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. So first thing that we see about this section is, is Paul says that Timothy's character is proven. It's been proven. And that phrase, proven character, it's a word that means uh, something that has gone through a refinement process. So typically what they would do during this time is with, with precious metals and stones, they would have a, a refinement process where they could discern and figure out, okay, well, if, it, you know, if we do it this way and it comes through or it does this certain thing, well, that's how we know these stones or gems or whatever it is, is, is actually genuine and pure and good and not something that, that's fake or corrupted or whatever. So there was this refinement process that people would do to discern, like, is this is this good? Is this valuable? Is this worth what we're, what we're saying? And that's what Paul's saying about Timothy's character. It's been refined. It's gone through a refinement process. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly what ministry is. That's exactly what ministry is. When you serve Jesus, when you walk with Jesus in this life, you are going to go through a refinement process. He's going to use everything that we walk through to mold us and shape us and make us more like him. And that's what he's done with Timothy. And if you remember back our time through the book of Acts last year, a couple years ago, we walked through verse by verse through the book of Acts and we come to Acts chapter 16 as Paul sets out on his second missionary journey. He comes across this young disciple named Timothy and he spends some time with Timothy and hangs out with Timothy and then Timothy follows Paul. Timothy leaves everything behind to follow Paul and the next place they go is Philippi where they plant this church that we're reading about today. Timothy was part of that original team. And when we look at Philippi, man, you know that Paul and Silas got beat up and thrown in jail pretty soon after they got to Philippi. That's Timothy's welcome to ministry moment. Hey, welcome to ministry. Welcome to church planning. Welcome to uh, missionary life. You might get beat up and thrown in jail. Sound good? And Timothy continued, man, if I was, I'd be like, you know, I think maybe I should go back home. I didn't, I don't know that I really thought this through. Maybe I should just, I should go back. But, but no, like Timothy continues on and he stays with Paul side by side with him the entire rest of the way. And we come here years later after that moment, guess who's right by Paul's side? Timothy. Man, this guy has been through it all. He has seen all the ups and downs. He's walked through all the hardships that Paul talks about in his letter. All of those moments, man, Timothy was right there with him, walking those, going through that. And as a result of that, his character has been proven. It's been refined. He's been made to be more like Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans 5 about this process. He says, starting in verse 3, he says, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. I mean, just think, let's like, just pause there. We boast, we brag about, we glory, and we celebrate our afflictions. Y'all, that's crazy. Like, nobody does that, right? Like, who, who else in the world is celebrating the afflictions that they walk through? Nobody. Like, this is the way of Jesus, right? And why is that? Why can we boast in our afflictions? Why can we boast in our hardships? Because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proving character. There's that same word that we see here in Philippians. And proving character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this, this passage here in Romans, with this section here in Philippians, what we see about Timothy is exactly this being lived out. 
And this is why we can celebrate and rejoice in our afflictions and why scripture calls us to do that constantly. It's because we know, even though we may be walking through a difficult season, a difficult hardship, Jesus is right there walking with us side by side and using all of those moments, all of those difficulties, all of those hardships to make us more like him, to give us this, this hope that doesn't disappoint. And this world is filled with hopelessness. But as believers, we can have hope because we know what's promised to us, right? We know that, that the afflictions that we face, this is the closest to hell that we will ever get. And we can celebrate and rejoice in that. And we can also celebrate and rejoice in the fact that, that even though we walk through difficult times, Jesus is constantly at work, refining us, molding us, shaping us, making us more like Jesus. So that's what, when Paul says that Timothy's character has been proven, that's what he's talking about. And that, that's for us as well. When we walk through these seasons, remind, remember, and, and we need to remind ourselves, man, God's using this to refine me. God's using this to give me that proven character that he talks about, that, that hope that doesn't disappoint. Let me rejoice in that. So he says that Timothy has demonstrated his character in a specific way. So he says that you know his, his character is proven because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Now that word for, for served could be translated slaved. That's what the literal translation is. And it gives this idea of a deep commitment to someone or something. And now we know that the, the horrors of slavery throughout the centuries and throughout the years, well, one of the things we know about that is slaves don't have a choice, right? That's one of the things that is stripped away. Your freedom to even make a choice on a regular basis is stripped away and taken away. They don't have a choice. They, they don't get to wake up and say, you know what? I think I'm going to not do what I'm told today. Like that wasn't, that wasn't an option. That was an option. Now, Paul's taking that kind of harsh language and, he, and he's applying it in a more positive way to what our relationship with Jesus should look like. Like when we live for Jesus, we should be so committed to the gospel that we can't help but share it. We can't help but live it out. We can't help but just blast it to anybody and everybody that we're talking about. Like that's what it looks like to, to serve in the gospel ministry that Paul's talking about here. That's what Timothy did. I mean, as we just talked about, like he has shown what it, what it looks like to commit your life to the advancement of God's kingdom in the gospel. Like this guy has lived it out more than we will probably ever know. More than we'll ever know the type of persecutions and hardships that he had to walk through. And yet he stayed committed to the gospel. That's how important it was to him. That's how, that's how big of a deal God's mission was to him. That he lived for that above anything else. Timothy was committed to the gospel. And we're called to live that way too. We're called to live that way too. You know, the gospel should fill our hearts with so much excitement and joy that we can't help but talk about it. We can't help but share it. Right? We can't help but shine that light that God has given us that we talked about last week. That's, that's the level of commitment to the gospel that, that, that Jesus and Paul invites us to. And that's what we see in Timothy. So Timothy gives us uh, this incredible example of what it looks like to live out our lives in full devotion to Jesus. All right, and let's, let's jump to the next section. Let's talk about the next guy Paul mentions, and that is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. So what can we learn from the example and life of Epaphroditus? Well, we don't know as much about Epaphroditus as we do Timothy, right? This wasn't one of Paul's consistent companions that has followed him and walked with him and all that kind of stuff. 
what we know is what we see here in Philippians about Epaphroditus. This is the only place in Scripture that he is mentioned. He's mentioned here in chapter 2, and I think he's mentioned a little bit later in chapter 4. But this is, this is the only book of the Bible that we are told anything about Epaphroditus. And what we, what we know from this is that, that he, was, he was, in some way, shape, or form, he was a, a significant leader in the Philippian church. Whether you know, he was an elder, pastor, deacon, whatever office he filled. He was one of the, the main and primary leaders in the Philippian church. And he's someone who meant a great deal to the Philippian church, right? Like we're going to see, they, they deeply cared about each other. And we also see that, that he's a close friend of Paul's. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a letter uh, and, and ministry support for him. But also they sent him to, to go and hang out with Paul and to be with Paul and, and, and stay with him, right? Like when they send Epaphroditus to Rome to be with Paul, like this is kind of the extension of the Philippian church to Paul. And the intention was that he would be there for a while, that he would stay for a while. That it wasn't a, a quick like, hey, Paul, how you doing? Cool, good to see you. Here's a gift. You know, call us if you need this kind of thing. I'm, I'm heading back home. No, it was, it was to come and, and just to, to be with Paul for the long haul. So when Epaphroditus makes his way back to Philippi in such a short amount of time, it would have been surprising. It would have been surprising. And the Philippians, because of this culture, it would have been looked at as kind of a failure or a desertion from Epaphroditus to leave Paul's side so quickly. Which is why we see Paul kind of over-explaining why he's sending Epaphroditus back and why he says, welcome him. Like, they should welcome him, right? And he's this close friend. He's this leader in the church. Like, that should be a no-brainer. Why is Paul writing that? Well, because when he comes back so quickly, they might be like, what went wrong? What'd you do wrong? Did you make Paul mad? Like, what'd you do? What happened? Did you get lost? Like, what, what happened? What, what'd you do? What went poorly? Like, that's what they would have been doing. So Paul's like, no, 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 hey, it's all good. I, I am forcing him to go back. Like, I'm making him come back to you for these reasons. Welcome him home, honor him in how he comes. So I just want to explain that a little bit. So uh, it would have been a little surprising, but, but what can we learn here from the life of Epaphroditus? In these short few verses, man, we see a lot about this man of God. So uh, three things that we learn about Epaphroditus here. One is that he was a mature Christian. He was a mature, strong, growing follower of Jesus. This guy was not living in the shallow end. He was living in the deep end of the gospel. Like this guy was deeply committed to Jesus, deeply growing in his faith. I mean, just look at what Paul says about him in verse 25. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. I mean, these are, these are accolades that Paul is giving this guy. These are things that, that, that show us the type of man and Christian and believer that Epaphroditus was. I mean, first we see that, that he's Paul's brother, not like actual brother, but he was his brother in Christ. And not just a brother, like Paul could have said he's a brother, meaning he's a Christian, he's a follower of Jesus, but he says he's my brother. That shows a personal connection, a personal friendship with this guy. So he's friends with Paul, close friend of Paul, but Paul also calls him a co-worker. He calls him a co-worker. And look, the work that Paul has been called to is, is the missionary church planning efforts that we see all throughout the book of Acts and all throughout his letters. And this guy was, was living his life out for the advancement of God's kingdom, no matter what happened, no matter what hardship, no matter what difficulty. That's what this guy was living out. So when Paul calls somebody a co-worker, that's not a light term that Paul just throws around. He's not just saying that to somebody who's just kind of barely doing anything. 
You know, not really committed, barely showing up, doing the bare minimum. Like, Paul's not calling that guy a co-worker. He's not calling that guy a peer in gospel ministry. So what we know about Epaphroditus, if he is called a co-worker of Paul, man, this guy was serious about the mission. He was serious about Jesus. He was serious about the church. He was serious about the gospel. And then he said that he's a, he's a fellow soldier. He's a soldier. Man, that, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, but the Bible often picks up this language of, of, our, of a spiritual battle. And that's exactly what we're in. When we put our faith in Jesus, man, we step into this spiritual battle between, between Jesus and the work of the devil that's been going on since the Garden of Eden, right? Like we step into this battle and we live this, this fight of a spiritual warfare. And as believers, man, we should expect Satan to come at us with all he's got. To face temptation, to face hardships, to face testing of our faith. And that's what Epaphroditus is. That, that, again, that, that shows us the type of Christian that he is, that he is a fellow soldier. Man, Paul knows that this guy's in the fight. This guy's in the fight. He's not just, just kind of coasting. Man, he's in this thing. And that's the thing about, about following Jesus, man. Like, if we're just kind of coasting, Satan doesn't care about that. He loves that, actually. He don't leave us alone. You guys ever been, been tubing up in Helen or anywhere else? You guys ever done that? What's the point of tubing? You get in that tube and you just float, right? You just float. We took our kids over the summer before uh, they went back to school, um, and so Kinder's mom was in town too, so it was all of us that went up to Helen to do this tubing, so I took our older two and kind of strapped them to, to my float, and because you know, I could be a little bit rough with them, and you know, we could go like over some more rocks and things like that than our, than our two-year-old Myla. So uh, my wife was tied to her mom, and then she had Myla kind of sitting in her lap, and man, five minutes into that trip, this is Myla. She's got this like you know, life jacket on that is just like kind of, you know, giving her some warmth and some, some security. And she was out. And this is like a two hour float, right? She slept the entire time, y'all. Just chilling, just laying back, chilling. Did not wake up until we finished and got out of the water. It's like, man, that's impressive right there. Like that is awesome. Praise God for that. Look, that's an awesome day to have a lazy day on the river. But man, so often that can be a characteristic of our spiritual lives. So often our spiritual lives sadly can just look like that where we're just coasting. Or we're just floating down a river. And I, we say this all the time. We, we don't drift into holiness. We don't drift into Christ-likeness. Those just magically happen one day if we don't put in any effort, which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. But look, if that's us, if we're just floating down the river, Satan's cool with that. And he's not coming for you. And he just wants to leave you alone and not wake you up to what's going on. But here in Scripture, what we see is that we are to wake up wake up and get in the fight we are not called to coast down the river we are called to be on the forefront of the gospel and advancing the kingdom of god and man when we do that when we live our lives with full devotion to jesus satan's coming for us we put a big old target on our back and say come get me that's what it means to live for jesus that's the life that god has called us to and the incredible thing, the awesome thing, is that yes, Satan comes with his temptations and his tests and to get us to, to doubt God and walk away and stray. But what we get to do is we get to remind him of the, the truth of Colossians 2.15 that says, hey, by the way, Jesus already defeated you, bro. You're done. You're done. He walked over you in victory. You've got nothing on me. Get out of here. That's what Epaphroditus is living out. And that's the life that we're called to live out as well. It also says that, that he's the messenger. 
He's their messenger, which is the same word that we see for apostle, but he's not being called an apostle here. He's, he's literally being called a messenger. And what that word carries with it is this idea of somebody being sent out on a specific mission. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus has done. He has been sent out to go and minister and care to Paul. And look, the Philippian church, this is another reason why we know he's some sort of leader in this place. Like, they're not just sending some rando to Paul. Like, just some guy that, you know, again, that's kind of in and out, somewhat committed, somewhat here. You see him once a month or whatever on Christmas and Easter. Like, they're not sending that guy to Paul. They're going to send somebody who is fully bought in, fully devoted to Jesus. That's who they're sent out. And that's what Epaphroditus does. And he carries this important task with him. It might seem a little small. We'll talk about that in a second. Like, you know, he's just going to see Paul and hang out with Paul and be with Paul. No, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. It's, again, this is the extension of the Philippian church. And we know, we've seen over and over again how deeply they cared about each other, how close they were in friendship. And they wanted to stay connected to Paul. And this was their way through Epaphroditus to do that. So again, they're not just sending some random person there. This guy had to be qualified for this. And Epaphroditus had to be. So again, we, we don't know a much, we don't know a lot about Epaphroditus. I mean, we're only told these few words here about him, but, but like these are the only things that we know about, about Epaphroditus. Maybe that's all we need to know, right? That's all we need to know about the type of man and believer that this guy was. And I wonder, I, I was asking myself, I was thinking about this, I'm like, what, what would Paul say about my life? What would Paul write if he was saying, hey, Travis was here and I'm sending him back and here's who Travis is? Or here's who Dave is? Or Ken? Or Ben? What would Paul say about our relationship with Jesus? Or the next thing we see about Epaphroditus is that he deeply cared about his church. Deeply cared about his church. And man, I, I love this. I love this. So uh, let's look at verse 26. He deeply cared about his church. He says, Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. So it, again, we, we see that when, when Epaphroditus was traveling somewhere along the road, whether it's along the journey or when he got to Rome, he was deathly sick, like on his deathbed. And Paul was, was like seriously worried that this guy was going to die. But the Lord brought him through it, healed him, and he's good health. But what it, what's interesting is what is said <clears throat> about Epaphroditus' mindset when he was sick. It wasn't that he was concerned about his own life. It wasn't that he was stressed about whether he was going to live or die. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's probably what I would be thinking. But I would be worried about what's going to happen to me, maybe what's going to happen to my family, but like what, what, what's going on with me? Like why, why, are we, why am I about to die? Like this is, not, this is not fun. This is not a deal. Like nobody signs up for that, right? But it says that Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippian church heard that he was sick. They were worried about him, and that caused him to be deeply worried about them. So even though he's lying on his deathbed, what's he concerned about? He's concerned about his church. He's concerned about his fellow believers back in Philippi. And that, that word for distressed, it means like a deep anguish. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when he is praying to the Father to remove the path before him. He's about to go to the cross and die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's praying, God, take this away. But if, if, it, if it not be, I'll follow your will. And he's, he's sweating drops of blood. Like that's the stress that Jesus was under. That's the same word that's used here for Epaphroditus. Like that, that shows how deep his care, love, and concern for his church was. 
I mean, that's just a, that's a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. It's a beautiful picture of everything that Paul's been talking about here. Again, we, we know that Philippians, man, that this was not a perfect church, right? Like, we know that it wasn't perfect. They better than some that we see in the New Testament, like not the Corinthian church. They were just wild now, right? So not them, but it's not great either. Like, it's not great. We see that Paul is talking to them and calling them to humility, that they were living selfishly, that they were, they were disunified, grumbling and arguing, complaining to one another and their leaders. And Paul's calling them to unity, like, put that aside and stop it. We know that this church is not perfect. And yet, despite all their issues and imperfections, Epaphroditus deeply loves his church. He deeply loves the people that he is in community and relationship with. Now that's, that's what we're called to. That's what this church and all churches should look like. Man, we should have that kind of love for one another where if you're hurting, that means I'm hurting. And if I'm hurting, that means you're hurting because that's how, that's how connected we are. That's how much we love each other. That's how much we care about each other. Look, I know we're just as messed up as a lot of other churches out there, right? We got our own issues. We got our own baggage. We got our own struggle because this is what happens. When God builds the church, he takes a bunch of people who are, yes, saved by grace, but still very much struggling with sin. And he puts them in the community and says, hang out with each other all the time. And that's why Paul constantly calls us to bear with one another, to put up with one another, and to forgive each other. Because we're going to rub each other the wrong way, right? We're going to frustrate each other. We're going to hurt and disappoint one another. And yet, despite those imperfections, despite those struggles, we are to deeply love and care for one another. Epaphroditus shows us that way. I love that, man. I love that. It's a beautiful picture, again, of what the church should be. It's a great example for us. All right, and the last thing, last thing we'll end here is um, that he served faithfully. He served faithfully. This is the last thing we see about Epaphroditus, that he served Jesus faithfully. It says there in verse 29, Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Okay, so we know that, that Epaphroditus almost died. And Paul says that he's risking his life for the work of Christ. But we also know that the work that he was called to was to deliver a letter, deliver some uh, monetary gift to Paul, and to just, just be with Paul. Like, he's not being sent out into some unreached people group. He's not being sent out to go plant a new church. He's not being sent out to live a life of a missionary like Paul was. No, he was being sent out to go love on and care for Paul. And when we kind of step back and look at, like, the grand history of Christianity, it's kind of like, man, Epaphroditus, yeah, he fulfilled a role, but, like, that's kind of a it's kind of a small role, right? Like it's kind of a small task that he was asked about, that he was asked to fulfill. And yet, and yet, Paul says that that's the work of Christ. That's the work of Jesus. And he risked his life, and we should celebrate and honor a man that does that. He didn't risk his life to go hang out with Paul. He didn't risk his life to go bring a gift to Paul. He didn't risk his life even for the, the sake of the Philippian church. He risked his life for Jesus. Again, this is, this is an incredible opportunity for what Paul tells us in Colossians 3.17 that says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do is for the name of Jesus. We may think it's small, we may think it's minor, but everything that we do is to be done in the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, think about it like in terms of, of church here. 
You know, you may feel like, oh, I've just got, you know, I'm just setting up chairs. I'm just setting up curtains or setting up kids' rooms. And, you know, I don't really, you know, have to do that every single week. I don't know. Blah, you know, wish we could do something bigger than that. Like, or maybe you're serving kids. And you're like, man, I got to do this all the time. These little kids, yeah, they're crazy. They're, they're sweet. They're cute, but they're a little wild. Like, I don't feel like, like, what impact am I making? Like, sometimes we, we think the, that way, right? We kind of look at what our task is. And it's like, man, this kind of, it's kind of menial work, Jesus. But that's not the way we're called to see it. Everything we do is for the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. And we can find joy in whatever he calls us to because of that. So no matter what your job is, what you do for a living, right? You don't, you don't work for you. You don't work for your boss. You work for Jesus. You do this for Jesus. When you step into that office, you're stepping in that office in the name of Jesus. When you live your life at home with your wife and your kids, you do it for Jesus. When you're washing those dishes or cleaning up dirty diapers or whatever it is, you do it for Jesus. And we should find joy even in the small, little, menial moments of life. We can find joy in that because we do all things in the name of Jesus. Epaphroditus, again, lives that out. At the end of this section, we, we just read in verse 29 that Paul calls him a man to honor. He calls the Philippians to honor this guy as he comes back home. I think he would say the same of Timothy as well. So why, why do these men deserve honor? And there's nothing special about them, right? Timothy's just some kid that said yes to Paul, probably didn't even know what he was getting himself into, right? But he did. Nothing special about him, nothing, nothing unique or different about Timothy than anybody else, nothing unique or different about Epaphroditus than anybody else. But these are men who said yes to Jesus, who lived their lives in full devotion to Jesus. And that's why Paul says we're to honor them. They gave everything to follow Jesus. They were committed to Jesus. They were committed to the church. They were committed to one another. They were committed to the gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom. That's what a life of honor is to look like. That's the life that, that Jesus invites us into. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, and we'll end here. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul invites us to live this life of honor, to live this life worthy of our calling, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the love and the sacrifice that Jesus has given us. This is the life that we're invited to, a life of full devotion to Jesus. Believer in the room, let's walk that life. Let's live that life. Let's commit and give everything for the sake of Jesus, knowing that when we do, we don't lose anything. We gain everything. And if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I would ask you to do the same thing these two men do, did, and that's say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. He loves you so much. What we celebrate this time of year is that he left the glory and the riches of heaven to come and live a life of a humble servant. And he lived the life, the perfect life that you and I never could. And he died the death on the cross that you and I deserved. And on the cross, this beautiful thing happens where he takes on all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, 
all of our brokenness. And we put our faith and trust in him. He then gives us his perfection, his righteousness, his freedom, his forgiveness of all of our sins. That's what this season means. That's what it means to follow Jesus. These two men that we read about, they said yes to Jesus. Many of you in here have said yes to Jesus. And I'm asking if you are here and have not yet done that. Let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you say, yes, Jesus. I don't want to live my life the way that I have been. I don't want to chase after my own selfish ambitions. I don't want to live a life that only leads to more brokenness and death and destruction and separation from you in hell forever. I want to say yes to you in your life and your forgiveness and your freedom. Church, the Bible says if we want that, all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. And that means it's just we're trusting in him for our salvation and our forgiveness, not our own ability, not our own good works, not our own strength. We're trusting in him. That's it, y'all. That's it. And we get all these things that he promises us. So if you're here and you want to do that, I would love to invite you to come find me after service or during this next section of worship that we're going to do. Uh, I'll be hanging out in the back. Please come find me. Love to chat with you about this, answer any questions or, or anybody here. If you're here with somebody or you know somebody here, man, any of us would love, would love to chat with you about this. So let me pray for us and, and we're going to do what we do every single Sunday church and that is, is enter into a time of worship and communion. So this is a time for believers in the room. This is time for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus to just spend some time in our seats and, and prepare our hearts, right? And maybe we just need to spend some time in worship and in celebration of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Maybe we, we are seeing, man, I've been living more for my own interests. I've been chasing after my way more and more. And Jesus, I need to come back to you. I need to come back to that life that is worthy of the calling that you have given me. And the beauty of that is Jesus is always right there with open arms, ready to receive us in love and grace and mercy. So believer in the room, as you prepare your hearts, as you're ready, the band's going to come up and play. We have the elements on either side of the room here at these tables. We got the bread and the cup and we, we eat and we drink in remembrance of Jesus's death, sacrifice and resurrection on the cross. And then as we eat and drink, we come back and we worship our good God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. And we'll step into this time. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done, Lord. And I, I thank you for the example here that you've given us in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, we won't know this side of eternity, the, the impact that these two men had on your kingdom. But man, we know, we know it's far more than what we see here in these few words, Lord. So I thank you for them and their ministry and the legacy that they built on this earth in your name, Lord. And we can read about them today in your word, Jesus. We thank you for that. I, I, I pray for each one of us, Lord. Would we learn from this? Would we glean wisdom from their life and their example? Lord, would you use this moment? Would you use this time that we spent today to open up our eyes in, in ways that we need to come back to you, come and, and, and renew our trust in you and our walk with you, Jesus, whatever that may look like. Lord, use this time to mold us and shape us and make us more like so just we love you, we praise you, we lift high your name today. In your name we pray, amen.